Hey, thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Today on the show, we're considering how to own all that has been said rightly. Justin Martyr said, whatever has been said rightly, it is the property of the church, of us Christians. So what does that mean? How do we use it? How do we use it when we're quoting those who don't necessarily have an orthodox view of the Bible? Is it appropriate to still cite them, use them to teach the truth? What did Paul do? in the Areopagus. There's a little spoiler alert for you. And then we're also going to take a look at how we know when to stop, if we ever do stop, spreading the word to our neighbors. How do we know when it's enough, when we've tried enough? And do we give up? Well, all of that and more is coming up right now on this episode of Cross Defense. Welcome back to another episode of Cross Defense. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul. It's the hat trick, my friends, and we do it all with God's Word. All with God's Word. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I am the pastor of the Lost Coast's Lighthouse of Truth. That's right. We call it St. Mark Lutheran Church, and we are located in Ferndale, California, where the beam of Christ's light shines brilliantly through the unfaithful fog that surrounds us. If you're within driving distance, my friends, to the lighthouse that I'm speaking of, we'd love to have you join us in our safe harbor. You will not run ashore. You will not crash into the rocks. We will guide you in. For everyone else, I trust you have a faithful church home. I trust you're being served by a faithful pastor, a man whom the Lord has called and sent specifically to serve you in your location. A man who, well, no, he isn't sinless course not. A man who isn't perfect. He's probably not all that cool, not all that interesting, but he is the man who is called to serve you. A man who is serving you with the Lord's word and with the Lord's sacraments, giving you the truth in its entirety, bringing God's grace to you in the way the Lord established to be done giving you both the law and the gospel and his preaching and his teaching as he's guiding you through this daily journey we call life. A man who stands ready to absolve you when you repent of your sins. A man who stands at the font, prepared to wash away the sins of the newly conceived Christians, be they a day old or, I don't know, 35,040 days old. You know how old you are when you're 35,040 days old? Take a wild guess. Don't Google it. Well, here you go. 96 years old. That's that's how many days old you are when you're 96. 35,040 days old. And your pastor is baptizing both the one-day-old and the 96-year-old. It's amazing. Your pastor stands ready to distribute into your mouth the very, that is the true, body and blood of Jesus Christ. The very true, mysterious, and magnificent fruit of the cross in, with, and under the bread and wine in the Eucharist. That's who you have serving you week in and week out. Now, if you don't have one of these gifts in your life, if you don't have a pastor, your own pastor, go to locator.lcms.org slash church. That's locator, L-O-C-A-T-O-R dot L-C-M-S dot O-R-G slash church. C-H-U-R-C-H, as if you needed me to spell that for you. And find a church where you can get one of these gifts for yourself, one of these pastors. All right, my friends, today on the show, we're talking about how we use God's Word and how we can find truth in the words that are not in God's Word, man's words, other people's words. We're also talking, as we, as we wrap that up, we'll be talking about how we use God's Word and know when to stop using God's Word in our evangelism process, if there is a time to stop. Is there ever a time to stop? Well, maybe my weak counsel here will uh, give you a little guidance. If not, well, go to that gift you've received in your local parish. Go to your pastor. We're talking about things said rightly. And to get started, we're going to address a listener's comment. In fact, the entire show is built around JD's comment today. But before we get to JD's comment, you should know 
that you too can send in your comments, your questions, your bits of biblical brilliance. And I know you have them because you listen to Cross Defense. <laughs> uh, so one of us has to have them, and I surely don't. Uh, go to St. Mark's Ferndale.com slash contact. That's S T M A R K S Ferndale.com slash contact. And I won't spell contact for you. I think you can figure that out. That's exactly what JD did, and this is what JD said. Good evening, Pastor. I see. I told you you could you could listen to this show whenever you want on your favorite podcast app. You can hit play whenever you want. The show airs in the morning on Saturdays. I think it's eleven a.m. out there on the East Coast. It's nine a.m. here on the West Coast. Uh, maybe I missed an hour time zone there. Who knows? That's too much thinking for right now. But he listened to it in the evening, as you can too, if that's what you'd like to do by pulling this show up on your favorite podcast app or going to kfuo.org and listening on demand. Enough of these plugs, yeah? Okay. Good evening, Pastor. <laughs> I got your cross-defense podcast about the old, uh, about the idol of evangelism, excuse me. I can read. And I'd like to weigh in with a few thoughts and a question. Go for it, my friend. Go for it. Please forgive me in advance for the length. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. First, let me say that I'm a relatively recent convert to Lutheranism, ELS, not ELCA. I started as an independent fundamentalist Baptist, switched to Pentecostalism slash Charismaticism, then Wesleyanism, then Calvinism, and have now finally come to Wittenberg for home. Yeah, that's a very condensed version. It certainly sounds like it must be. I love confessional Lutheranism. J.D. says, and have found rest for my weary soul, as well as the souls of my wife and children. Oh my goodness, the promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off. Oh, that's what we read in the book of Acts, isn't it? Thanks be to God, J.D. You, your wife, and your children. I love to hear that kind of news. Praise be to Jesus. I'm overjoyed. I'm really overjoyed that you found confessional Lutheranism and that you were not swallowed up along the way before you got home. You found your own lighthouse, your own safe harbor in your part of the world. Praise be to God for cutting through the unfaithful fog. To the point you say, I'd like to say some things about your recent program, in which you made points that I generally agree with, but would request clarification in areas, and you give me two. All right, so first you say, J.D. says, I admit to not being very familiar with Eric Metaxas. I know his name, but I couldn't tell you much about him other than that he is a conservative speaker. I do know that even conservative people have criticized him for some of his rhetoric. But to be fair, I cannot confirm or deny the validity of those criticisms. I do know, however, that he has a book about Bonhoeffer, and I do know a bit about Bonhoeffer, including the fact that he had some doctrinal views which fall outside of orthodox confessional Christianity. That's true. While I would concur that Bonhoeffer undertook actions worthy of note, I also have concerns about championing him in a manner that could give credence to even his false beliefs, as Metaxas, from what I know, seems to have done. Do you see the potential issue? Okay, so before we get to your second point, we're going to deal with this one first, okay? Yeah, J.D., I do see the potential danger, absolutely, the potential issue. As I mentioned in the episode, I personally and, and I pastorally take issue with Metaxas's representation of Luther. I think he glosses over uh, Luther's issue a little too briefly, too uh, uh, hastily, and uh, especially with how Luther treats James. As many Lutherans know, Luther uh, talks about James as the straw epistle. But then he goes on in a way that I would consider to be a, a misrepresentation of Luther's position on James and on faith alone and how works relate to all of that, and uh, how he ends up pointing out a consequence that I don't think is fair in his analysis of why the German Lutheran Church was the way it was, apathetic and, and pretty, pretty much uh, just spineless, in the lead-up to World War II. And this is why I mentioned this before proceeding to quote Metaxas' words regarding the idol of evangelism. Absolutely exactly what you're saying, the potential danger of not being clear when you're using someone's words to take it to another place and to use, use it for your own teaching. Um, you got to make sure that you're doing that in a way that is responsible 
and make some disclaimers if you need to make some disclaimers and, and things like this. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we can't use wisdom where we find it. We can indeed take note of and champion the right words when they're said rightly without championing the entirety of the man who spoke those words. You might be familiar with previous episodes of the show where I took up CFW Walther's teachings against attending the theater. We did a few episodes of the, about that back to back, uh, about three weeks, I think. And he starts off by quoting Greek and Roman philosophers. And, and Walther even points out that he's beginning with the heathens and how the heathen thinkers understood something that even Christians should understand and should understand better about attending the theater. So he, he references those who have a horrible view on Christianity, right? They're not Christian. Then he launches into the historical writings of the church fathers. So he builds an argument based on solid doctrinal words, but only after laying a foundation from the worldly words that were said rightly. Luther, too, was quite fond of quoting uh, various sources. I'm coming to my mind right now most readily is Aesop's fables. He liked to use Aesop's fables when teaching biblical truth because the stories lent themselves so well to what he was trying to teach. Now, Aesop's stories are attributed to at least, I mean, Aesop, right? We don't know exactly if he wrote them, but they're attributed to him, and he's a non-Christian. And even if they were written by someone else, from the Greek world, non-Christian. Going even further back, it was Justin Martyr. And now here's a great quote for you, my friend. It was Justin Martyr who lived in the second century who said, all the way back then, whatever things were rightly said among men, all men are the property of us Christians. Whatever things were rightly said among all men are the property of us Christians. We can use them. Okay, and of course, we don't want to just talk about these, uh, these theologians and what they say. Let's take it back to Scripture. The biblical witness is most readily found, in my mind, in the book of Acts, chapter 17. So if you want to flip there with me right now, we're going to take a look at that, starting at verse 16. So Acts 17, starting at verse 16, we read, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown this I proclaim to you, I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him 
We live and move and have our being. Now, right there, Paul is quoting, well, probably quoting, and let's see if I can say this name. You know, I don't know my, my random weird Greek and Latin names. Uh, Epimenides or something like this. Epimenides or Epimenides. Uh, who knows? Epimenides, some Crete guy, okay? He quotes <laughs> some poet that I don't know the name of. You guys are smarter than me, so you probably do. The point is that the poet isn't a Christian. He's a Cretan. As even some of your own poets have said, and now again another quote, for we are indeed his offspring. Now this one's easier for me to pronounce. This is from Erastus's poem, Phanomena. And I probably butchered that. You get the idea. Two non-Christian writers. Paul uses, you might say, champions in order to make his point. Being then God's offspring, he continues. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus, right? Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's pause right there, take a break, and when we get back, we'll continue with more as we look at Acts 17 and whether or not it's appropriate to champion those who are not necessarily fully orthodox in their understanding. You're listening to Cross Defense. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. So did you catch that? As we were reading through Acts 17, we got to about verse 26, not to about verse 26, but we got to verse 26, and we read, And he, that is God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. And find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. And then he says, For in him we live and move and have our being. That's the quote from the Cretan. Even as some of your own poets have said, For we are indeed his offspring. And that's the quote from Phanomena, Erastus' poem. Yeah? So, these poets end up being tools, gospel handles, that Paul lays before these people who were were allotted to live as as Athenians, who are now working and and, and discussing and deliberating and and conversing in the Areopagus. He lays before them this Cretan poem and Erastus' poem, and he says, basically, these are two handles for you to seek and feel your way toward God. And then he goes on to say, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So that that idol made to the unknown God, that's erroneous. The times of ignorance, he says, God overlooked, but now, now he commands all people everywhere, including you Athenians, to repent 
because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, Jesus Christ. Okay? This, this is a wonderful example of how to use our current poets or all of humanity's poets. This is how, you know, classic education, we, we study the, the great conversation. We look at Aristotle. We look at Thomas Aquinas. We look at Shakespeare. We look at all these things, and we find what is good, right, and beautiful within them, what is, what is true and honest, and what, is, what can be rightly called, according to Justin Martyr, the property of Christians, so that we can then use those words to proclaim the truth, use that understanding to help the people that we come in contact with find out that God is not that far off, but in fact, he's right there in front of them. So to your very good, healthy concern, J.D., thank you so much for this question. It's appropriate to quote someone's right words, even if we don't fully agree with their wrong words, when we do it appropriately in service to our neighbor to draw them to a more biblical, orthodox, faithful understanding of the truth. See, Paul didn't have a problem quoting people of influence when it would serve his purpose. Didn't bat an eye. The church has never, as we saw with Luther and Martyr and, and uh, Walther, what's with all the errs? Man, Luther, Walther, Martyr. Uh, the church has never had an issue with doing that. Now, of course, one must indeed, as I've said, and I'm trying to emphasize repeatedly, take care and be diligent to convey the point of the, the citation. What's, what's the reason we're using the, the idol of evangelism as Metaxas articulated it? You know, we're, we're not dealing with his, his view on James and on his view on Luther, but we are dealing with his view on the idol of evangelism because he has said it well. But we are free to make that citation. We are free in the gospel to use all that is said rightly in our teaching of the truth. As you say, you're going to go on to say, and the listener may not know this, that you're a public teacher, uh, and, and you do this as well. We all do this. We do it in our daily lives just in general, but we also do this as Christians. When we try to find these gospel handles, to help those that we're evangelizing, that we're witnessing to, to help them find their way to God and find out that actually God is, is right there in front of them. He's come to them. Do we advocate Christians take a deep dive into erroneous sources? Absolutely not. No, of course not. On April 22nd, I don't know if you caught that show when we were discussing a listener's baptism and, and his crisis of faith. If you did listen to it, you heard me give the instruction to turn off the false teachers. Turn them off. And this is, this is why you have a pastor, which is why I emphasized that at the beginning of the show. Your pastor in your specific locale, at your lighthouse of truth, he is a speaker of truth. He is your lighthouse watchman. Is that what they call guys who tend to the lighthouses? He is the guy making sure that light is aiming through the fog for all those who are looking for safe harbor. And sometimes those, those Christians that... that you know, they're not even Christian yet. The, the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts, and they see the light of Christ shining out into the sea through the thick fog. There's the light, and at first it's really dim, and it's kind of hard to tell where it's coming from, but they follow that light, and they get to where it's at, and before they know it, they're in the safe harbor we call Orthodox Christianity. The Lord has disciplined your pastor in solid, sound, biblical doctrine to be able to discern what's useful information, what's useful, what, are, what words are written rightly to quote or to, to reference martyr again, and to use it when it's useful and what's harmful. You, you've heard many sermons, I'm sure, this being done, both by good pastors and bad pastors, where they, they use an anecdotal story to get the listener's attention, to kind of carry the message along, a theme perhaps. Not too long ago, I preached a sermon about Safe Harbor, and now you're hearing it today coming through as I'm stuck on this imagery of Safe Harbors and Lighthouses, and I use the story of an old sea captain. Now, I'm using an anecdotal story to convey a message, to make a point, the Bible being the main thing that's going to make that point, but the story just being a handle to help me deliver it. 
That's what pastors are trained to do. And we're continually working on that training, always being diligent, or we should be, we ought to be, in keeping that discipline sharp. It's not that we're all capable of making these judgment calls for ourselves. So I do not advocate that we all just go out and read this stuff and ingest this stuff. I definitely don't advocate that you're tuning into YouTube and grabbing any old listener. So many of us are listening to so many different influencers and these Christian teachers and these self-proclaimed prophets and all this stuff, and it's just it's disparaging. I mean, think about it this way. You can self-diagnose your own health problems with nothing but the internet, YouTube and all that stuff, WebMD. But when you do that, if you're like me, you're going to end up concluding that you have every disease known to man. Because <laughs> that's what, when I read WebMD, I feel like I have every one of the symptoms on the list of every single disease. It could be this, it could be that, it could be this. Well, it couldn't be that because I've never, you know, encountered, well, I could maybe, I don't know, maybe it just leaped over to me or somehow. It makes it seem like you got everything. So you can represent yourself in court as well. But is that advisable? No. I mean, you may know your law really well. If that, hey, more power to you, guy. But I don't. Someone who's been through law school, who's passed the bar, they, they know the ins and outs of the law system far better than I do. I'm going to lean on them. A professional lawyer is expected to know the legal system better than just some guy off the street. In fact, you know what I did last week? This actually happened. I texted a member of the church here who is a lawyer to ask her a legal question, a question regarding our ongoing contest with the LGBTQ activists, okay? Why? Because while I spend my days prayerfully studying Scripture and talking about Scripture with God's people, she spends her day carefully studying matters of the law. She's the expert. I want her interpretation, her knowledge, her nuanced knowledge of that topic. This is called, wait for it, this is called wisdom. <laughs> it is. This is called wisdom, knowing when you don't know everything. <laughs> when a pastor cites an extra biblical source to teach something biblical, there's an expectation, or there should be, that he's doing so from a position of training and knowledge, nuanced knowledge. Lay people too, but because there's no certainty in their level of training in sound biblical doctrine, we should take extra care with the words we hear from the average layperson, the average person on YouTube, the average, you know, the, the cashier at the coffee shop who tells you what she thinks about Jesus or something, I don't know, something like that. Oftentimes, those, those voices weigh heavier on your heart and determine your views on things far more than your pastor. You dismiss your pastor. You actually, we actually dismiss our pastors because they are our pastors. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, he, he's supposed to say that. That's what he's paid to say. Well, yeah, you pay him to say that. You pay him to say biblical words, faithful words. So why are you tuning into this guy? Spend your time doing something better, like researching how to have a beehive or garden or... Now build a Lego city or something. Do something cool. Quit wasting your time with these false doctrine guys. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you see the difference there. I hope you do. Of course, the same is true for pastors. You should, you should always be a Berean. Don't hear me saying anything contrary to that. I, I don't think you're, you're hearing that, JD. But anybody, always be a Berean. But, but just know that's why, at least within the LCMS, I think the ELS or all denominations probably have something similar to this, especially the, the faithful Orthodox ones, those who are striving to be faithful. We only call pastors within the LCMS from our recognized channels of ministry training, typically called the seminary, right? And we only have two of them because souls are on the line. It's, it's their passing of the bar. It's their becoming a medical doctor. It, that's what's happening with our pastors. We should treat our pastors with that sort of understanding. These people have been through eight years, at least, of training to learn how to use the different words of men rightly in concert with the truth, to be like Paul at the Areopagus. Not just winging it because it seems to make a correlation, but knowing why it makes a correlation and for what purpose for the audience. So even our, even our LCMS pastors 
should be viewed with a level of scrutiny always. Anytime anyone's saying anything in the name of God, there should be a level of, of scrutiny, criticism, concern, all of that. Always be listening carefully. But at least with our pastors, we're able to have an initial starting point of trust that if they're coming to us in a rightly ordered way that gives credence or uh, validity, that, uh, you know, that they're ordained, there is, there's a seal of approval, so to speak, that he's able to teach according to the biblical mandates of what it takes to be a pastor. Okay, so I think, I think this is your concern, and it's, uh, it's a really good one. It's a great question. It's appropriate concern. I want to I affirm that, uh, validate that, uh, why confessional Lutherans tune into all these other kinds of teachers on Caleb and YouTube and all this stuff, and read all these books uh, written by, you know, the best-selling Christian authors and all that stuff. It just baffles me. I don't get it. I mean, would you go to just anybody to care for your body? I mean, you might say, well, I can only go to the doctors that are in my area. Let me tell you, Humboldt County has really bad health care. But at least I'm going to a doctor in Humboldt County, and I'm not going to a mechanic for the mole on my arm or whatever. You know, why would you let just anybody tend to your soul? That's ridiculous. So thanks, JD, for the really good question. Uh, I hope my answer helps a little bit. I'm definitely not championing Eric Metaxas in general, but just using his words on the idol of evangelism, what he said rightly, because they hit that topic's nail directly on the head, as, as you yourself said. So, okay, you have some more stuff you did write at length, then uh, feel free to do that all the time. I'll try my hardest to, to keep it contained and uh, only omit stuff that just can't get to in the show. For those of you who are thinking about writing in, just like J.D. did, J.D. continues with his second point. I know of your struggles against the LGBTQ plus activists in your area, and I pray that God preserves you and makes you a witness. I also want to say that you hit the nail on the head regarding the idol of evangelism which in truth is more about the idol of big church numbers, yeah, or the idol of worldly acceptance, yeah, in many cases. Totally agree, brother. I'm sorry that some of your clerical brethren have fallen into a quote-unquote gospel reductionism. I would be interested in knowing if any of them are disciples of Gerhard Ferdy, who seem to lean in that direction, as they're absolutely wrong in their reactions to you. And I agree wholeheartedly that as Christians we bear witness and are ready to give an answer to the unbelieving world in hopes that the gospel can be presented, 1 Peter 3.15. Now, J.D., I can't speak confidently about the relation of, of uh, my pastoral you know, counterparts and, and their discipleship to Ferdy or not uh, with regards to their reaction to the work I'm doing here with the, with the good people at St. Mark in our lighthouse of truth um, in opposition to the influence of the LGBTQ. I, I just can't speak to that confidently enough, but that's a really interesting thought. And I'm going to have to give it some more consideration. So thanks for bringing that to my attention. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, back to your, your email. But having said that, let me ask this. At what point do we, and he quotes here, shake the dust off our feet from people? Let me explain more. I'm also a public school teacher. I am blessed to be in a district that is not as modernist, quote-unquote, as many other districts, but still holds a degree of Christianized conservatism, conservativism, <laughs> easy for me to say, within its people. Well, that's good news. However, that being said, the, quote, rainbow deception, unquote, is becoming more prevalent even here. I call them the rainbow legion, brother, because it is a demonic influence. Absolutely. That rainbow deception, that rainbow confusion, that rainbow legion. Absolutely. And a number of the people who either are smack dab in the middle of it or are advocating for it are well aware of Christianity. And they just don't care. Well, that's horrible. One of the biggest advocates for the growing group in the district is a counselor who also claims to be a devout Catholic, who also holds prayers once a week for Christian teachers. I was shocked when I found out this person buys into the rainbow deception propaganda, hook, line, and sinker, while still professing to be a good Catholic. Ah, While our district has not yet been quote-unquote radicalized, I have to quote watch my tone, unquote, without, about the kids. 
I try within my bounds to slip into the... Isn't that funny? You have to watch your tone about the, Chris, the, the kids, and you're coming to it from a Christian-loving perspective that wants to do no harm to kids. But those who are, who are willing to trans the kids and, and plant these thoughts of, of depression and suicidality and confusion, the deception, all these things that, that you can change your body and not be happy with who God made you to be, all, these, all this stuff that we always talk about, they don't have to watch their tone. Oh, the irony, right? What's good is bad, and what's bad is good. Up is down, down is up. Bitter is sweet, sweet is bitter. All of that, Isaiah nailed it. <sighs> Sorry, man. I try within my bounds to slip in the gospel when I can, and it was nice that I was able to talk about it very briefly as, quote, historical record, unquote, during Easter. Oh, yeah. Good idea, taking that opportunity. But a great many of the people caught up in being advocates for the momentum are or were church kids and now adults. They know better or should know better. They most likely have already heard that any sexual behavior outside of God's ordained structure of man-woman marriage is sin, and they simply do not care. Many are aware of God's law and the gospel, and they have chosen sin over salvation. Uh, we're going to get to uh, Titus 3.10 here in just a little bit, so there's the spoiler alert. This, along with people who have arisen from Christendom and have either embraced a modernist faith, quote-unquote faith, or have outright left it altogether, make it difficult to speak to them. <clears throat> That's shocking stuff, isn't it, J.D.? Ah. Supposed Christians advocating for sin. Hey, let's take a break right there. We'll get back and we'll uh, let me, I'll share a little story with you about a similar thing going on here that is just as disheartening as you think about Christians who should know better. You're listening to Cross Defense. We will be right back. Don't go away. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., Join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. So good news on the LGBTQ anti-hate resolution front here in Ferndale. For those of you who've been kind of following the saga as I drop little crumbs here, I don't want to make the show cross-defense too much about just exactly what we're dealing with here in town. But as it becomes a tool to help us, I'm certainly willing to share that. And that's what this is. Ferndale City Council just voted last week, just barely off the press, 3-2 not to pass an anti-hate resolution, a resolution that was in direct response to our sign here at St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, the lighthouse of truth on the Lost Coast, a sign that warned Ferndale and every passerby in, in our county, and then because of social media and the way things spiral uh, throughout the county, of an all-ages drag show. We warned that there was a drag show for kids coming to town. Praise be to God, it was canceled. Although, sadly, this past weekend, it was rescheduled for our community college, and it, it happened. So, uh, But that's outside of, of Ferndale. So, um, yeah, praise be to God for that. Of the two, it was voted 3-2. Of the two councilmen who wanted the resolution to pass, the one who authored the draft, the draft resolution was put out there, Really, it was just a boilerplate used from the county supervisors who used it from the state, who used it from other states, and all that kind of stuff. It's all the same thing. Of the two, the one who put forward the diversity, equity, and inclusion draft, affirming LGBTQ sins. I'm building up to it. Wait for it. You know what church he attends? He attends a Lutheran one. And not, not an ELCA Lutheran one, as you might expect. And there is one in town. But he doesn't attend the one in town. And he obviously doesn't attend St. Mark Lutheran Church, the LCMS one in town. No, but he does attend the closest neighboring LCMS church in the town, several towns north of us. True story. So an LCMS Lutheran proposed the anti-hate resolution against Lutherans speaking against LGBTQ sin and warning people not to fall victim to it. That we've been working so hard 
to keep from passing because it would restrict the free course of the gospel. That's right. Shocking stuff, right, JD? It is shocking to be dealing with Christians who should know better, and yet they're doing this awful thing. They are actually contributing to the temptation into sin. Woe to you who leads one of these little ones into sin. Something like that. Paraphrase. JD continues. So at what point, this is the question, at what point do we shake the dust from our feet? When do we say, I'm done trying to reach you? I'd be happy to speak to anybody, JD says, who came to be and talked to me, came to me and talked to me, and I've made that invitation more than once. Good, that's key. But sometimes it feels like casting pearls before pigs. Anyway, may God continue to bless your work as a pastor and podcaster. In the grace of God, JD. JD, may God continue to bless you, your wife, and your children, and all those you engage with. Brother, stand firm on the faith. Be that little, let's keep the metaphor going, that little dinghy out there. Be that little buoy. Maybe you're solo by yourself. You're not the lighthouse, but you're part of that whole system that keeps people from running into the rocks. So be that. All right, now here's your question, or the answer to your question, excuse me. And here's the most direct answer with respect to shaking the dust off your feet. The shaking occurs when the sent one's preaching has been heard and nobody has welcomed it or even be, been hospitable toward having it remain among them. Then the called and sent preachers of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, those sent out by Jesus, well, they leave that house, they leave that town for another house in town. That's Luke 9, 5, Matthew 10, 14 stuff, right? Flip with me to Titus 3, 9 to 11. I find this to be helpful when answering this question. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. See, brother, it's not a question of when to be done trying to reach people. It feels like that's the right question. But the Christian heart, as you so certainly know, doesn't ever want to be done trying to reach people. It's just frustrating when we see people who should know better and we, we're trying desperately to reach them. But that feeling of frustration is when we're trying to do it. This is God's territory. So Titus 3.11, remember, brother, that person is self-condemned. It's about self-condemnation. So the real question is when to know when your hearer or hearers are no longer welcoming the gospel. And the answer is really simple. Proclaim the gospel until they tell you, ask you, demand you, beg you, plead you to stop. However, they're going to lay it out for you. Give it to them once and give it to them once again. Twice over. Bring Christ crucified to them until they tell you, stop with that stuff, guy. We don't want to hear it. And then tell them one more time. Make them have to tell you to stop one more time. The idea is that they have made it abundantly clear that they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Then feel free to stop. When we bring the gospel to our neighbors in no uncertain terms like this, and I don't mean the half-hearted attempts that we're, we're all used to. We like to, the, the, the half-hearted efforts that we like to say is evangelism. No, but when we bring the peace of Christ in no uncertain terms, Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins to our neighbors, and not once but twice, they say, enough already, dude. Stop with that Christianity stuff. Leave me alone with your law and gospel. Well then, whose conscience should be clear regarding what he's done? The speaker of the gospel. You, J.D.,
and you can have nothing more to do with them, just as Titus says. Now, I will add, though, I will add, though, this isn't, you know, undoing everything I just said, but that this parallel of shaking the dust off our feet isn't quite as cut and dry as we might, we might be otherwise prone to think. Because you may still work with these people. If these are your colleagues at school, you're going to still work with them. You're not an apostle going from town to town, house to house, planting new churches. You're a layman living and working in the vocation that God has given you in your particular location, with your particular circle of neighbors, your family, your co-workers, these things, your friends. These same people who directly tell you not once but twice, if they don't want anything to do with what you're preaching, they may then go through a hard spell and remember the peace that you possess, that they see you possessing, and ask you for a bit of it. Ask you to give it to them. And you're back in the evangelist arena, my friend. You're back in the game with these people. And so you start up again until they tell you in no uncertain terms to stop. Okay, now, now this is just a tithe thing talking now from this point on, but it occurs to me that the frustration that you feel, I feel, we all feel in our modern American Christian experience when it comes to trying to talk to people about Jesus, it occurs to me that it's due to our own timid approaches. Now, obviously, I don't know anything about you, J.D., you could be the boldest evangelist in the entire Midwest, I have no idea. But generally speaking, I think as a church, we would, we would do better to be more direct in our evangelism, bolder with our witness to our neighbors, putting aside our fears, our concerns of social isolation, our concerns of relationship fallout, not being invited back to Thanksgiving dinner and not being able to go into the teacher's lounge and, and sit around and talk about the game on Monday mornings, all those things that we're worried that we're going to break if we bring Jesus into the equation. If we take all of that and put it aside and put the onus on our hearers, make them worry about what they're losing rather than retaining it for ourselves because we aren't losing anything. The Lord is giving back to us immensely. So I think it's our ambiguousness, the ambiguity, the lukewarmitude that we, that we bring to the situation that actually creates this frustration that we feel. It creates the, the fog, that unfaithful fog, wondering if we're being faithful or not. Luther said, sin boldly. Well, let me tell you, how about speak boldly? How about live boldly as Christians, the Christians we are? I think when we do that, we'll find that the cloud of uncertainty, well, it just dissipates. It goes away. I think we'll, we'll, we'll find that more pe people are responsive to the direct approach. And even if they're not, we'll feel better knowing we did what we were supposed to do. See, we tend to be reserved in our evangelism efforts. We take half steps. You all know this. I'm not telling anybody anything new. But then we get frustrated with ourselves when we get the murky responses. Let's draw the hard line. Or actually, to better say it better, let's let them draw the hard line for us. Let's let them create the boundary, and we can know it in no uncertain terms, and we can sleep well at night not wondering if we should be shaking the dust off our feet or if we're casting pearl before swine. You know, we even have a cool-sounding term for this attitude that creates this murky unease, this frustration we feel. You know what it is? It's a great term. You hear it all the time. I'm going to tell you, and you're like, oh, yeah. It's called winsome. Be winsome, and you might win some, right? Sorry, but that makes me want to puke. How about we treat each day like it's the only one we've been given and we live biblically and just lay it on the line and tell as many people as we can about Jesus Christ being as bold as we possibly can 
And bold doesn't mean jerkish, so don't get confused. It shouldn't even be a question. Bold, as the apostles and the first century church were bold, like Stephen, bold. And instead of worrying about maybe winning some for the Lord, we just focus on what's required of a steward, that he be found faithful. Because that's all you're asking in your question. That's what we're all always just trying to figure out. How do we be faithful? And we're getting lost in the programs and, and all these ideas and the patience and the justification and all these different things that we hear even our pastors say. Let's just focus on being faithful. Let the Lord deal with their responses. Maybe they'll want to stone you like they, like they did Stephen. Hey, praise be to God, guy. To live is gain, to die is Christ. Or I said it backwards. To live is Christ, to die is gain. <laughs> Maybe they'll turn from their sin. And they'll ask you how to be saved. And you can tell them all about baptism, that it's for them and for their entire household. And just like you, your wife, and your children, and those who are far off, more people will be saved. Mm, I hope that's the, the, the whole enchilada for you, brother. For all of you listening. I don't know if that helps. I hope it does. You can tell I'm pretty passionate about it. But, and it pains me to say this, JD, but uh, guess what, man? We're out of time. <laughs> I do want to thank you for uh, writing in. I really appreciate the length of your, your email, taking the time to articulate your question, your comments. I know I had to omit the stuff about Hitler and, and all that with Bonhoeffer. Um, I hope you understand we're limited to an hour a week. But I want to give praise to God for bringing you out of the wayward sects and into a confessional Lutheran church. May many of your peers repent of their sinful support of the LGBTQ and return to the Lord. Thank you, brother, for doing what you're doing. Thank you for bearing that frustration. You know, I just put up a sign. Our church is always putting up a sign trying to reach those passing by, referencing 2 Peter 2. And there we, we hear about how the Lord knows how to save his people who are living among the sensual practices of the wicked, which is very timely, appropriate for us living in this LGBTQ culture of ours. It says, you know, Lot was distressed over his neighbors, those he lived among. And the Lord knows how to save his people from those they're surrounded by. So take comfort, take stock in that, that our God, your God, JD, knows how to save you, your wife, your children, your coworkers from the wickedness that's all around them. Even the wickedness we ourselves put out into the world. Okay, my friends, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to be like JD and send them over to stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash contact. And, uh, well, we'll talk next week. In the meantime, you can catch all of our back episodes over on your favorite podcast app, whatever one that may be, over or over at kfuo.org, where Christ is for you anytime, anywhere. And while you're there at the, your favorite podcast app, I should say. I don't know if you can do this on KFUO, but while you're there, why don't you consider giving Cross Defense a five-star review and even sharing it with a neighbor? If they don't want to give it a listen, well, how about you share it with them again? <laughs> and after twice, if they tell you to go pound sand, well, feel free to not bother them anymore. Anyways, I'm out, guys. Thanks for listening. Christ be with you and yours. Have a blessed week. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.